Welcome back to the Content That Grows podcast. Today, I am excited to be joined by Adam Goyette. Adam is the founder of Curtis.co, which works with growing startups to help them scale faster. He is a former senior marketing executive who previously led marketing at Help Scout and growth at G2. Uh, what's up, Adam? Thanks for joining today. Yeah, how's it going? How are you? Doing well. I'm excited to, to dig in today. We're going to be chatting about a, a few things that are all interrelated. So, you know, one is, um, you know, understanding sort of the, the different stages of growth for startups um, and, the, and the importance of understanding where you are in those stages. Um, and then with that kind of understanding, you know, hiring in-house teams versus agencies, deciding which channels to bet on, when to hire VP. There's, you know, a lot of stuff that kind of all rolls into that. So, um, excited to, to chat through that today. And I guess, you know, to get started, would love to have you, um, you know, give some of your perspective on what you think or kind of how you see some of the, the various stages of growth that most SaaS startups go through. Yeah. Um, you touched on a, a couple of things there, right? Where I, I think the reality is like you need product market fit, uh, first, right. And, and so there's, there's kind of stages and, and evolutions, uh, within that. Um, and so like, but I think the first thing is, one, do you have a product, right? Because uh, right. there's lots of startups who don't even have the product yet. So once you have the product, let's just assume that's happened. Uh, do you actually have product market fit? Uh, and product market fit to me is like, do you actually have customers, right? Like, do you have people who are using the product? Do you have people, when you talk to, if you're selling to marketers, marketers, do they get it? They're like, oh yeah, this is a definite thing. Uh, you know, and, and then you can figure out pricing and all these kinds of things, but you need to kind of get to that product market fit. A lot of times that's just the founder selling, right? Like, and I think, I don't think you need marketing at that point. If you don't have product market fit to understand, like, what is it that they're buying? Why are they buying it? Um, who's actually buying it? Cause a lot of times you go and talk to marketers, it's like, well, actually, uh, you know, I'm not really the one who would make that investment. That would be our ops team or whatever. And so suddenly yeah. it switches. Right. And so, uh, I think it's really on the founder. Uh, to do kind of founder-led sales or, or figure out that component. Maybe it's product-led, but you have to really have tons of conversations with people to get to that point. Um, and, and I think once you have that, then it's kind of, like you said, figuring out the right channels. So like your your product channel fit, um, because it's a blessing and a curse if you're an earlier stage startup, you can do anything, uh, which is an amazing feeling until you realize like, oh crap, I can do anything. What, what do I actually need to do, right? It's like that experiment where you give people too many options and they kind of just freeze up. Um, yeah. And so it's very similar to that. And so that's where I think you have product market fit and then you have to figure out where are we actually gonna grow? Like, what are the things we wanna bet on as a company? Uh, and there's lots of ways you can do it. And that's a lot of times where one way is like that's where I get brought in a lot to help companies figure that out. Um, and I'm not trying to like plug myself or anything, but you can work with outside people to come in, right? I know you've done that in the past before where it's like, hey, yeah. help us shortcut this learning curve. Um, right. And a lot of times what I do with people is it's kind of like you have to put limitations and constraints around it. Um, so yes, you could do everything, but like the reality is you can't. So let's just stick with the, the B2B marketer example. You sell the B2B marketers, you have constraints, right? Like, are they really using Snapchat? No, okay, like that's not the avenue, or at least not, they're not using it to engage with B2B marketing content. So maybe that's not the channel you're gonna grow through. Uh, 
Maybe you're in you know, a field where SEO is completely saturated. So like building out some giant content team uh, isn't going to work, right? Uh, right. In that, and so like G2 is a good example of that. Everyone always says like, oh, G2 and their traffic and all this. And it's like people don't realize how far along G2 is. They've been around for 12, 13 years, right? They yeah. have a 40-person content team. Like if you're an earlier stage startup that just got product market fit, you're not going to compete with them on SEO. Like it's just not happening. Um, not unless you have like crazy funding or <laughs> I don't know, even know how you would go about doing that. But so then it's like, you do have constraints on the business. So applying those constraints helps you narrow in on the channels you feel good about. And then I think you have to work at it, right? I think it's identify what are those two, three channels you want to, you want to focus in on. And ideally, like even to find the one is really what you're trying to do, right? Because yeah. once you find one channel that works, then it's about pouring gas on that and trying to scale that up. Um, yeah. Once you get to a certain stage at that point, you need to start expanding, right? Like you can't, typically you don't see companies just grow all the way from start to finish um, just through one channel, right? They start diversifying, right. they start adding in events and now we're gonna do this next thing and, and you build out more of a robust kind of playbook. So that's kind of at a... And there's lots of like stages within that, but like at a high level, I think those are like the three big buckets, right? Is like yeah. the product market fit, and then you need to get to channel fit. And once you get the channel fit, you're trying to scale up. Um, once you start scaling, it's about like maintaining and expanding. That's uh, kind yeah. of the way I view it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think there's. Um... Yeah, and if I if I were to like expanding is probably pretty you know broad, I guess. And if I were to add one more from my experience is that like the, I, you know, I feel like maybe, you know, the, the revenue dollar amount is going to be different for everyone. But like in my experience, I feel like when we hit about 50 million, then it became like, this is not even just going to work as like inbound acquisition. Yeah. And, you know, we had to have, you know, agency partnerships. We had to have, you know, outbound and growth within existing customer base and really like, full revenue generating channels uh and yeah. like units of the business had to be yeah. layered on to to really support and expand that um but yeah i think i think you're right certainly product market fit uh i like the the concept of you know the applying some of the constraints because it is true that you could do anything and everything um but you kind of making some of those educated guesses to narrow it down a bit i think makes a lot of sense and then if you are fortunate enough to get to the point of of expanding then um yeah i like your your notes as well on you know, needing to move beyond one channel and um diversify there a bit so yeah yeah i mean yeah. i'm sure like sprout and even at, like g2 like partnerships and all those things like the size of what they grow into they're almost their own standalone business right like they're their totally. own million dollar yeah. kind of uh revenue stream for for the company so uh yeah it's important to layer those out for sure yep um Awesome. And then I think, you know, you maybe touched on it a bit, but I'd love to, to dig in a bit more just like as you come into a company to help them out or you know, even just sort of chatting with another marketing leader um, at a company, um, like what are some of the things you look for, you know, besides maybe product market fits an obvious one, but like what are some things you look for to kind of get a sense of what stage the company's in? to kind of know where to go from there. Yeah. I think one is just analyzing their inbound funnel today to say like, how are you getting leads? And so a lot of times with like founder-led sales and things like that, 
it's a little bit tricky because they have good growth early on, but it's all just their network, right? Like, and yeah. so the network starts to dry up and then it's like, oh, we don't have any channels or we don't have any sprouts of growth. And so what I look for is like, where are there sprouts of growth at where you are getting traction on some things? Maybe you did a webinar or maybe you did this one thing. It's like, oh, we actually got five customers out of it. Uh, when we did that, it's like, okay, that, there's something there then, right? And so I, I look for like, yeah. where are there sprouts of growth? Um, and then the other thing I do a lot of times is just look at the competition, right? Like you don't have to figure it out from scratch. If the competition, especially people who are more established are already in a space playing, um, yeah. it's generally because it's working for them. And, and not all the time, right? But like if 90% of the competitors you're going up against are all doing, you know, whatever it might be, uh, Facebook ads, like maybe your audience is on Facebook because like why would all of them be doing that, right? And yeah. so, and not to say you have to run ads exactly the same way, but there's lots of creative ways you can go about making Facebook a channel for you. Um, so th those are kind of the ways I try to look uh, at it to say like where where is their opportunity and how do we just like shortcut some of that um, is look, trying to find like, yeah, the the sprouts that we have, and then figuring out like where is that? What is everyone else doing already? Um, and how do we go about doing it differently? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think it was. Um, shoot, I don't know if I remember this correctly. I believe I remember hearing that uh, McDonald's spent like millions and millions and millions of dollars to have people research locations of where to put. Uh, the McDonald's new McDonald's locations and then Burger King spent zero and just put a Burger King wherever there was a McDonald's or something like that. So uh, <laughs> <Brilliant. Yeah. laughs> that, that comes to mind of like, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, it's always hard when you look at competitor, you're like, you know, they may, they may just be clueless and, you know, they may have a team that's going through the motions and sending, you know, spending and like reporting yep. how proud they are of like all the MQLs or, you know, you don't really know some of the details and sophistication, but yes, when there's quite a few folks there, like there's probably uh, some opportunity that's worth at least testing that and, and whatnot. So yeah, yeah that yeah. that's great. I, I think, go ahead. I was going to say, I think on the, the flip side, right, where uh, the companies that are getting it wrong early stage are, are the ones where they're not giving it enough time. Like, you know, that's in, in content, yeah. it's like, people do like five blog articles and are like, what the hell? Like we don't, we're not getting yeah. any leads and it's like, turn it off. Uh, you have to give stuff time to mature and understand like, also when you put those constraints on your business, what are the constraints? Is like, do you need leads today because you only have a six month runway? Uh, in which case, like, yeah, maybe some big brand play or doing all this branded content isn't like, what can you do today to get leads today is very different than a company uh, with funding and a secure position that is willing to make longer term bets on some of these things. And so uh, I think yeah. figuring out like not every channel is equal in terms of the return you get. Some take longer to, to mature. Um, and I think having an understanding of that is another big component because too often you see that exact same thing where it's like, didn't work, we turned it off. It's like, well, how long did you do it for? 30 days. But like we launched that Facebook ad and we turned them off because they weren't working. Well, what, what, ad, what like variations do you, can I see the ads? Oh, we just ran one set and then we turned it off. You didn't try to like optimize the audience. You didn't, you didn't add new creative. You didn't do anything, right? Like, so you kind of have to have like uh, a little patience in terms of what you're building and then a game plan of how you're going to optimize it. Cause like, it's incredibly rare for anyone to be able to just launch something and have it work right out of the gate. It's all about the iterations to get to that point. 
Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think it was um, Emily Kramer, I believe, who was on a, an earlier episode this year. I believe she was talking about managing marketing like a product, you know, and, and sort of that to that same extent, like being willing to iterate, kind of understand what the customer needs, where's their friction, like all that stuff, um, I think plays, plays really well into that. Yep. Um, so we'll, I think kind of start to transition a little bit into the team side of things. Uh, but first, I guess in sort of that same lens of coming into a company, figuring out what stage they're at, um, how does like this, the current structure of the team or like what roles they have in house sort of like give some, some guidance to you of kind of where they're at and like level of maturity and where, like whether they're investing and any of that, uh, like would yeah. be a helpful place to start. Yeah. I, I, so I think a big thing, um, I see frequently is someone makes a decision before they even have channel fit on like, this is the channel they're going to bet on like as a founder and they just hire a team of specialists, um, which I generally do not like at all right? because it's like you come in, you don't know yet. So it feels very odd to like pigeonhole growth into one thing that you're going to do. And it's like, um, and so I'm a big fan of earlier stage companies having like marketing generalists who can do a lot of things, right? Who can, they don't need to be the expert in everything, but can they get Facebook ads up and running for you? Could they, uh, work with a content agency to start producing content for us? Right. Um, because a lot of times you come in and you're like, wait, why do you guys have, you know, three content writers or why do you guys have three, uh, whatever paid specialists? And you're like, Oh, because this is where we're going to bet. And it's like, okay, what results do you have to go along with that? And so a lot of times, like that's what I see the most. I think, um, I think specialists come once you figure out the cha- there's something to the channel, uh, and then bring in the specialist and scale it up. Right. And then you want to do that growth kind of piece. Um, uh, but early on, I love having just the generalist, uh, of who can just do a lot of things and want to experiment and play around. And it's a great learning opportunity for them because they get to be involved in all these different channels and all these different things. Uh, but generally I think that's what I found is like, uh, people commit to specialists too early. Um, and I think making a full-time hire like that is, you know, it's a rough position to be in because like you're hiring someone and then it's like, oh, that's not going to be the channel for them, uh, for you as a company. And then what, what do you do with that person? And not to say it, yeah. it won't be maybe in five years or three years or two years, uh, but like in the immediate, you don't have that need. And so I think like people are too quick to commit to channels until they actually have something there. So I'm a yeah. big believer of like working with agencies bringing like experts and not just like random agencies you go out and hire because there's just like hiring people. There's tons of bad agencies, tons of bad advisors and, and people like that out there. But like lean on your network to find out like, is there someone you could bring in to help you figure out what that is? Right. And and then I think you can make those bets a little bit safer. Yeah. And would you agree that that happens a lot um, with like the first head of marketing, first VP of marketing, as well in terms of being very specialized like we're going to go find someone that has like they worked at this company or they had experience in this because we're making a bet on it and then sort of the same fallout yeah what i find a lot of times is like uh usually you don't even need a vp of marketing (laughs) that early on right i think people jump to make a hire there too quickly uh and what happens is like one of two things um 
one is you hire someone who's used to managing uh, like teams and budgets yeah. and resources, and then you put them in with one other marketer and you're expecting them to have the same impact. And it's like, that's not their specialty, right? That's like, right. it's like getting a lab and then like living in a one bedroom apartment or a studio. It's like labs need to be outside and to run and do all these things. Like that's what they're good at. Uh, so like you, you've got the wrong dog, right? And so yeah. you need someone I think who's maybe coming up in their career and maybe it's a director level or head of marketing, but who still does the work uh, because early on in a startup, it's more about just getting the work done than anything else. Like the team that can uh, use speed and, and execute fastest will get the best results. It's really not much more than that. Uh, I think people overcomplicate it, but like we talked about like finding the right channel, the way you find the right channel is like how quickly can you get through, uh, you know, the deck of cards to find the one card that's going to be for you. And if yeah. you're taking weeks to plan it out and strategize and all this sort of stuff, like you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Um, and so I think a lot of times companies make those VP of marketing hires way too soon. Um, mm -hmm. I think once you have a couple of marketers and a few channels that are working, then you can layer in a VP of marketing. Um, but I, generally I, I like just having people who can just like get stuff done. Yes. So three things I want to highlight that you talked about. Um, one is the, uh, what you were just saying, like I, I kind of always talk to people about it as like the player coach, um, model, you know, which in, I think that even as you get quite a bit bigger, I mean, I had, you know, maybe 12, 13 people on my team, uh, and at that point it was VP level and I still held sort of a, a player coach role, um, much more coach at that point, but still a few areas that I kind of owned, I would own projects, like certain things would just be hands-on still. Um, so I think that's, that's really important. I think the, um, more the generalists early on, uh, who can be able to shift quickly, you don't have to make as much of a bet. They can quickly bounce across multiple channels and tactics to figure out what works. And then I think, um, uh, really important to then kind of consider when you do have channels that work, then you bring in specialists that you, know, whether that's in-house or, or agency, but um, have the specialists that can really uh, kind of own it and take it to the next level. Um, yeah. And yeah. So uh, all, all really good stuff there. Um, and then, you know, when you, I guess shifting that then a little bit, like, um, where do you think kind of like hiring and team structuring starts to come into the conversation? So obviously I think we talked about it a little bit, but like when you're now talking aspirational, you know, looking at where we are and we want to reach the next stage. Um, and if you want to focus in on a specific, going from one specific stage to the next to make it easier, that's fine. Um, but yeah, I would just love to kind of hear some of your thoughts on how you start to think about hiring, timing, what the team structure looks like um, to kind of help set people up to to reach that next stage. Yeah. Um, so I've done this exercise before where you build out like the three-year model, five-year model. Um, mm -hmm. And it's usually 100% wrong, but it's still actually <laughs> incredibly valuable um, because it makes you think just more long-term, a lot bigger in terms of what you're doing. And I think it's valuable at any stage to say like, okay, if we're gonna get from 1 million to 5 million over the next three years, 
what is that going to look like for us? Um, because you have to have conversations then around like, do we think we can scale the channel that's working for us to that level? Or are we going to need to layer in more channels? And then back to like the time piece, right? Like too many companies make the mistake of like, they build that model for the year and it's like, we need outbound or we need this other channel now. And it's like, okay, we'll build outbound this year. And then basically they bake all the numbers of outbound or whatever new channel they're going to do in the second half of the year. Um, and naturally what happens is it always takes longer than you think. Hiring, building out the team, getting them ramped, uh, all these sorts of things. And then just the learning phase. Um, and then you miss your targets because you, you didn't give yourself enough time, right? And so I think part of it is like, there needs to be an understanding of like partnerships, affiliates, all these things take a long time to figure out. Um, one, getting in the team, and then two, scaling them and all these sorts of things. So really like doing that exercise of planning out for a few years, the numbers to see kind of like, hey, at the volume we're converting leads today, in order to hit 5 million customers, we need the 5X our leads, or we need to get more efficient uh, with like the the follow with the conversions of those leads, we need a higher conversion rate. So what do we need to do to get that right? And maybe it's like, oh, we should have SDRs qualify these people right up front, and that'll help us, right? Like, it's, so you can figure out some of those things of where you should be making those bets, and then you can figure out like how you hire out for those things. Because yeah, too often if you're just starting the plan at January first, and that's like when it, you deliver the plan to everyone, it's like here's how we're going to grow this year. Um, a lot of times it's just all gets baked in the back half of the year, which is usually a recipe for disaster um, yeah. because it's too hard to hire and scale and do those things that quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I always talk to people about like the concept of layering, you know, and like I think early on you can kind of like find a channel. We talked about, you know, testing channels, stuff like that. Like you can find something that, you know, goes from, generating zero paying customers a month to, you know, a, a large substantial number, like a big swing for your company. But that doesn't like keep happening indefinitely. You know, you don't just like stumble upon something you haven't tested in the last five years somehow and, and, you know, introduce it. And all of a sudden it's like transformative. It's so much more about like, okay, if I to get another hundred customers a month, uh, I'm going to do, you know, all of these conversion improvements to add eight more customers a month. And we're going to create, you know, blog content and there's going to be five posts that each generate one customer per month. And like, you just kind of keep layering like a referral partner or like recruit affiliates or all these things. It's like one or two a month here and there. You just keep layering, 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 not spending all of your time trying to find something that goes zero to 100. Yeah, uh, or making that bet, like you said, and banking it all on the the back half of the year. So, um, yeah, I think that's that makes a lot of sense. And um, I guess the only other thing there would just be kind of your thoughts on like, um, you know, when you come in with companies and and kind of see where they're at, like, what's some of the, or maybe it's one, but one or, or multiple factors that you see that helps you kind of determine like you should you should hire this in-house or no, you should go work with an agency. Uh, what kind of like helps you make your decision there? Yeah. Um, 
So I, I think it's a couple things. I, I don't think they have to be exclusive, right? Uh, I think you could do both. And so a lot yeah. of times it's like, we want to we want to build out a content team. And it's like, awesome. Um, that's going to take a little while, right? Between uh, hiring uh, the content lead who's going to set the strategy and then hiring the writers and doing all these things uh, to get to that level. If we know 90% of the strategy, which it, most of the times if you talk to someone who's like a founder or whatever, they know 80% or 90% what needs to be done. And so it's yeah. like, let's just get a good agency in here now and then hire someone. And maybe they can just rely on the agency, right? Uh, and at a certain point, it just makes sense, right? If you look at the cost yeah. component of it, it's like, well, yeah, we could go out and hire all these people, but like they, it would be way more overhead for us for what we're getting from an agency. And a lot of times... Um, you can find really good agencies to do things uh, you know, like whether it's content or even paid agency, right? Where it's like they're taking 8% of your spend and it's like, okay, that stings a little, right? But if you look at it, it's like, okay, we're spending $50,000. Are we going to get anyone who's, you know, fantastic at $4,000 a month with a less than $50,000 to manage or paid or is like this boutique agency uh, just really good. And this person has way more experience than anyone we could hire individually. Right. And so then that was case. It's like, yeah, stick with the agency. It makes a lot of sense to do that. Right. And so yep. some of it's just the financial modeling of, of figuring it out. But then also I think agencies can help a ton to shortcut the structure and the frameworks, right? Because one of the big yep. downsides of risk is like, if you just try to build it in house and you just try to hire that amazing VP, and you think you're going to nail it, most of the times companies don't. And so what happens is like how we talked about speed earlier, how far back are you now delayed because you hired the wrong head of content? Uh, and now you have that person in the seat for six months before you realize this is a shit show. Like it doesn't work. <laughs> we need yeah. someone else. And now it's like you're back to square one and you've lost half a year. Uh, not just in terms of like that person creating stuff, but like when content or things like that do take time to develop, that's even more impactful of the damage. And so it's like bringing an agency for them to work with, to come in and set the stage that you know is good. Um, and then, you know, bring in the person on top of that. And so then they can work with the agency directly and you, you've laid out a much stronger foundation uh, yeah. of things. And you can usually go a lot faster too, uh, which is the other big yeah. benefit of working with an agency. Yes. Yeah, totally agree. And we we definitely hear that a lot um, from folks who just like, we want to want to get going quickly. I mean, the, the number of people I talk to, they're like, I want to start yesterday, you know, like they're, yep. they're just ready. Um, and so yeah, I think the, the time to ramp is really important. Um, the breadth of skill sets that you would have to hire in house. Uh, but and also like, we do work with a lot of companies that have one content marketer in house. Yep. And so content marketing is very broad and um, like I would say a lot of, a lot of content marketers have um, advanced their knowledge of SEO and skill sets, but still don't ha quite have like the full depth of like, like deep SEO all the way into technical and, and some of the other stuff. And so it tends to work really well to have an in-house content marketer who knows the brand sort of sets the tone, the overall vision and can work across case studies, webinars, podcasts, whatever it might be. Uh, and then, you know, we're able to kind of have our lane and 
um, you know, create optimized content that helps fuel some of the other things like newsletters and social content and that stuff. But um, that, and then just really kind of covering the SEO role as well, which would be another expensive, difficult role to hire in house. So yeah, um, yeah, I think that the combination part is very common that we see yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah, and it's also like you, you you said it there, right? Where it's like a content person or content marketer is not equal, right? Like some of them are way more technical SEO focused content people. Some are yes. more storytelling. You see that with like demand gen too, right? Like this person totally. scaled only through like Facebook and Instagram paid ads. That's very different than someone who knows Google ads or who's run ABM strategies. So like yeah. a lot of it when you're talking to these people is understanding like how do you want to grow and like where do they have the skill set and how does that fit in? But and maybe you need both. Uh, in which case the agency thing is like uh, is awesome to offset whatever they they're lacking in, in terms of skill because otherwise you're looking for like a complete like unicorn hire who can kind of do everything <laughs> yeah. in content and those those people generally uh, are are very few and far between. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Before we move into the the final four questions that we ask everybody, um, anything else you want to say on the topic? No, I don't think so. I think the biggest thing, right, is is focus and speed are kind of the two things, right? Is like you yeah. want to move quickly, but also you have to focus enough on like a few things to give it enough time. Uh, because if you're just like speed, like this week we did Facebook ads and next week we're doing this and, next, and you don't give anything enough time, which I've also seen. It's like a scattershot yeah. approach. You're like, I don't even understand like where we're at with any of this stuff. Right. And so you have to give stuff time to mature before you make the decision. Like, yes, this is, there's something here. No, there's not. Um, and so I think those are the, the two big mistakes I, I commonly see companies make. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So moving to the other section, um, what's a recent success or learning you'd like to share yeah um so this is a good one because uh, i think like with all the ai stuff happening out in the world uh like marketers there's so many different like things you can do with the tools uh mm. and so uh i think one of the recent learnings is kind of goes back to the speed component of how quickly can you stand something up uh i'm a big believer of like putting like time constraints around when you uh, decide you're going to do something, right? So mm -hmm. um, if you decide outbound is the thing you want to do, which is a company I work with, it was like, well, we should do outbound. We've been talking about it for months, da, da, da. And it was like these conversations. And I was like, let's put, let's launch outbound by the end of the week. And everyone's like, what? Like, how are, and so, and, but I think one of the things is like, it doesn't have to be perfect, but in two months from now, we'll have tons of learnings that if we wait yeah. two months to build this program out, let's launch something by the end of the week, just like kind of like on a, like you said, like product development side, it's like we're, we're shipping, uh, right? And so like we can continue to add features and things to it, but I think too many people spend months mapping out the ideal state. And so we launched an outbound campaign within a week. Uh, and I think part of it is like there's so many cool AI tools and things you can leverage now, uh, yeah. low cost tech, where you can stand up an outbound campaign for you know $500 from a tech spend standpoint and start seeing results from it. And so uh, I think that was kind of a nice reminder uh, of like if you just uh, what is it Pomodoro's law like work expands to to fit whatever uh, whatever yeah. time you give it. If you give yourself five hours to write a blog post, it'll take you five hours. If you give yourself an hour, it's going to take yeah. an hour. Uh, and so it's the same thing with like, 
even like bigger things like an outbound strategy is like just pick and go because most of the time that the next four months or whatever you're going to spend debating is debating the 10%, the 90% you actually already know and have agreed upon. So uh, I think that was a, a good, healthy reminder for me this week. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's a, uh, yeah, Parkinson's law. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I used a fan of that one. <laughs> tool or whatever that, that yeah. time constraints my, my work level. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that, that's really cool. And I think just generally a very good reminder, you know, like progress over perfection, you know, like just stop talking about it and just do it. Um, that's great. Um, you know, I think this, you can answer this one for kind of you for, for Curtis, or you can ask, um, or sorry, answer kind of through the lens of, of some of the companies you work for, but, um, you know, what role does content play in the overall strategy? Yeah. I would say it, so I can answer for myself because it's kind of interesting. I'm sure most companies, uh, most people give like the company answer. So it might be interesting to have an individual. So I'm just a company of one. Um, for me, content is kind of everything for, for my business, right? Because um, so much of what I do and why people hire me is because of there's a perceived level of like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. They're knowledgeable. There's these kinds of things. I can't tell you the amount of people who come in off of a LinkedIn post that I put up. And so content to me is not just like blog posts and all these things, it's, it's everything, right? It's it's a newsletter, it's podcasts, it's it's all these things, it's social posts. Um, and so when I think of like the content I put out, you know, I run a weekly newsletter uh, and I post on social a couple times a week and I have 100% inbound um, usually. And, and I think yeah. it's, it's, and it's all off of those things. Uh, and it happens for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is, you get to know people way more than you realize. Like, so people come in with like a familiarity around you, which is like kind of weird at first. Cause it's like, it, it throws you off. Cause it's like, Oh, I know Nate. I, I've heard five of his podcasts. Like someone who's listening <laughs> yeah. to all these podcasts has a, a sense for your personality. Like they just know a lot more about you. Right. Like yeah. five hours is a long time to listen to someone speak. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I think that you, you can build up a connection with a much wider group of people than you normally could not doing content, right? Because like people want to engage with other people and want to engage with this sort of stuff. And so for me, it's like a, it's, it's basically uh, like outside of like delivering on what I actually do. Uh, that is like the number two thing I think about uh, is like, yeah. what kind of content can I make? That would be interesting. What should I write about my newsletter? Like I spend like a ton of time doing that and engaging with other people's content. Uh, so it's a huge driver for me personally. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then again, kind of for you uh, or clients, either one, um, how do you define you know, success? Like for you, for you, for your team, obviously it's, it's just you and the company, but for a client, how would you define success for, for them and the team? Or, you know, if it's for you, then kind of how do you define success? Yeah. Uh, are you asking specifically around content or just in? Overall. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. I mean, most of the time, right, companies are in business to make money. Uh, so usually it's a yeah. revenue uh, metric. Um, but I think it's important to have milestones along the way, right? It's just not just have the annual goal of we want to grow 50%. You need to celebrate the wins along the way. Um, because you might not always end up at the 50%, but if you actually like look at it with some perspective, usually what you see is like, wow, look how far we came in the last six months or the last four months or whatever it might be. So I'm a big believer of having, uh, like almost like 
monthly goals, uh, the quarterly goals, the, like the annual goals, and then you don't live and die by like the monthly goals, but you should be um, you know celebrating where you're having wins within the team, like on a, even on the individual channels, right? If so, if you're Facebook, uh, you know, inbound killed it this month. Like you should be celebrating that. And it's okay to celebrate the person who did that, even if you missed on the overall month. And I'm not saying like you, you yeah. go out and like brag the sales, like, oh, we crushed it on Facebook when the company missed their goal. But there has to be a level of like progress that's happening because startups are hard. And usually yeah. people set super aggressive goals with zero uh, like context as to why. It's just like, what is it? The double, double or triple, triple, double, double, like. <laughs> it's like there's really no logic behind that in some cases so it's like we're going to triple this year and it's like and that's said regardless of anything that's in place uh and so that's awesome if you can hit that but like don't knock yourself down if you just only double right and so (laughs) i think like a lot of companies i think can get hung up in that like crazy growth mode uh and they don't celebrate the smaller things so to me success is like are you working on stuff that is enjoyable to you to work on? And then like, are you actually having fun uh, doing it? Right. Cause it, it, yep. it's marketing and we're not, it's not brain surgery. It should be like a fun activity. People want to engage with <laughs> yeah. fun brands. They want all these things. So like, if you're not enjoying what you're doing to me, that's like the biggest red flag of, of not success. Yep. Yeah. I, I love all that. It's a great, great perspective for sure. Um, all right. And then lastly, uh, what's your least favorite marketing conversation happening in social channels right now and why? Uh, my least favorite has got to be the dark social talk. Um, and, and why? Um, it's just to me, it's it's nothing new. It's just a rebrand. It's word of mouth, right? Like we talk about dark yeah. social, like, oh, people are talking on Slack channels and people are doing, you know, pinging people on social to say what tools you use. And it's like, yeah, I did that 10 years ago when I would grab coffee with Nate. You know, I would say like, hey, what what tools do you use? Or if I'm at a trade show, I would ask people like, that's not anything new in terms of the way people buy. Uh, It feels like this very like uh, trendy topic people like to talk about when the reality is like it's it's buyer behavior and that actually hasn't changed at all. It's it's word of mouth. Uh, It's pretty much what it is and your reputation, right? And so, uh, to me, that's like a topic I just find like exhausting uh, because everyone yeah. seems like they, they love to talk about it. Like it's some new novel concept and it it's not. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Good marketing yeah. though. I, I'm with you on that. Um, cool. Well, uh, this has been really great for anyone who wants to learn more about uh, you and, and what you're doing with your business. Um, where be, where should they look? Yeah, just find me on LinkedIn, follow me there. I post a lot of my content there. Uh, You can reach out to me there. Uh, That's probably the best spot. Okay, awesome. All right, and then if you want to check out any other episodes, please visit 10speed.io slash podcast. Uh, You can get all prior episodes available there. Um, Please uh, like and subscribe on your uh, podcast platform of choice. All right, Um, well, thanks, Adam, for joining. And until next time, we will wrap it up today. All right, thanks for having me, Nate.